Welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. I am here with Taylor Godovac. Taylor, welcome. Thanks, Rap. Thank you. Um, yeah, hi, guys. Obviously, my name is Taylor. Um, I'm the co-founder and head coach of SE Pilates that opened up just in December last year, so only just over a month ago now. Yeah, and that's what we're here to talk about, is your journey to become a Pilates studio owner, which is you're still really in the midst of. Um, so uh, can you give us a quick rundown just uh, for those listening on the planet, you know, Pluto, which isn't a planet anymore, but uh, like where in the world is your studio? What's the format? You know, um, give us the, the basic uh, rundown of the studio. Sure. Um, so we're in Australia, Melbourne. Um, the studio is a dual studio, so it's a reformer and a heated mat studio. So we've got two rooms. Um, we've got 11 reformer beds and we've got 20 heated mat spaces. Mm. Uh, you told me a while ago you're going to have 12 reformer beds. What happened to the 12th one? Yeah. Um, this is a bit of trial and error, hey, when it comes to, I guess, fit outs and planning and, um, and getting your drawings done up, you've got to be on target. Um, we thought we would fit the 12th. Um, the 11th one did fit. Uh, sorry, we thought we would fit. Yeah, the 12th. Um, they did fit, but I wasn't happy with the layout. I didn't want people to feel squished. I wanted the trainers to have ample room to, you know, maneuver and get dynamic on the reformer and be able to not feel restricted with the movements that they could teach. Um, it was a, it was going to fit fine but that was the problem for me it would fit fine uh, it wouldn't fit well um and especially when it came to opening I didn't want people to come in and kind of be like oh great class great vibe loved it but it was a bit too squishy in there so I wanted to make sure um that you know I'd rather sacrifice one and give those that were there more space to move uh, and the trainers more freedom than to squish in just another for the sake of it so so you've got an extra reformer in your garage now I do. I do. I have an extra one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so how many square meters roughly is the, is the, is the space, the whole, the whole studio? The whole studio would be about, oh, maybe 150 square meters, one, yeah. 130 square meters. Okay. That's, yeah. That, so that's, that's like one, 1500 square feet roughly. Yeah. If you're in, yeah. If so you're it's, in, it's decent. Yeah. Um, and, Okay, and so you're in Essendon, is Essendon, right? Yeah, yep, you're in Essendon, Melbourne. Yep. Yep. And so what style of Pilates do you teach? Um, I would say more on the dynamic side. Um, that's always been my personal style of teaching. Um, I've always liked to keep it a bit dynamic, sort of go out of the box a little bit, test some movements, test people's range, um, give people that freedom of movement and not be so scared to try stuff. Um, and that was something that I always, you know, when I went into it, I wanted the trainers to, I guess, not have, they didn't have to have that exact same teaching style, um, but just be, I guess, motivated to also, also want to try, um, and also want to give a bit of dynamic movement to go. So I'd say probably more dynamic, um, probably more upbeat style of Pilates, um, in saying that though, always prioritize a good cool down, especially in the hot room, because it gets pretty warm in there. And I do really like to bring people back to a bit of a like steady state before they walk out because they can get their heart rate pretty, pretty high. So just to make sure that they leave not hating me, that's kind of my method 
I um I, I conflict the the um I guess the savage I unleashed by <laughs> fixing it in the last five minutes. So yeah, that's that's probably more so our style. Okay, so and so it's like kind of a faster pace, you know, whole body movements, full range, and it's 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 uh, a challenging strength, right? So it's 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 a it's a it's a fairly vigorous fitness based style of Pilates, right? Is that true? I would say so. We've got two styles of reformer. Um, so we've got dynamic, which is more of our OG style based reformer, and then we've got strong, which is going to be that a little bit more um strength based infused reformer. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I did have a little bit of conflicts when I named my OG class dynamic because it's a bit of a conflict. It's like, oh well, if you're calling it dynamic, though, how is it OG? Um, but I guess when it's you say OG, OG you mean, do you mean the Contrology repertoire? Yeah, 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 like quite original. Um, but I guess it's more original to us as opposed to very stock uh, Contrology stuff. Um, and I more wanted, you know, if if the trainers are going to focus on more foundational movements um, and growing from that foundation into those progressions, dynamics, the class where you're going to get more of that feel. Um, whereas opposed to strong is a little bit more, we might start off, um, on that more upbeat foot and then ramp it up with things like, you know, maybe going a little bit heavier on the load or maybe less breast breaks in between. Um, mm-hmm. so they will be, they are similar, um, but they just kind of have that little, little bit of a difference. And who, who are your, who's your core clientele? This has been an interesting one. Um, I've had an abundance of clients. I have had a lot of my clients come to me from previous years that I've been at, which I've been so, so stoked about. They're still walking in every day now. I'm seeing the fresh faces come back and I'm giving them big cuddles as they walk in. So it's so good to see them coming back. Um, but I guess our our audience has been, I'm going to say predominantly, if we're talking age, predominantly like 20 to 45 is the predominant, not total. Um, so nice big bracket to be honest. Um, and in that area of Melbourne, I have had relatively uh, strong clients, relatively strong in the sense of they are um, more often than not already Pilates experienced. Not all though, we are getting a fair few beginners or they've come from some sort of movement background. All right. So that's the basic sketch of your studio. What I really want to you know, delve into is your journey to, to, to opening the studio. So can we, can we, you know, scroll back in time to like, how long have you been certified just to, to begin with? When did you qualify as a players instructor? I qualified in 2019. And we're in 2020, just started 2023 now. So like four, three and a half, four years ago, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so you, oh, you that's start- weird to say. <laughs> that's so, so weird to say. You started out uh, working in other people's studios, right? Um, and uh, so, when did you when did you first think that you'd like to open your own studio? In all honesty, you like often here with these things. It's always been a dream of mine, and I can't relate in that sense fully. I started off teaching Pilates. It was not what I expected to be doing. I loved Pilates. I'd done it for a, a fair bit before and I did come from a dancing background. So I was very used to movement. I also loved training in the gym. So I've always been a big advocate for movement and, and loved, you know, staying active. And that's always been like a high value of mine. 
Um, and then I jumped into Pilates and I loved it. And I remember my trainer at the time, um, you know, we were talking about I was actually thinking of being a PT, but I wasn't sure that it was exactly the route that I wanted to go down. I didn't really want to be a personal trainer, but I knew I wanted to work in health and fitness. Um, and then my instructor at the time said to me, why don't you go and do your Pilates course? And I sort of thought, oh, I can't do that. Like, you know, I don't know how to teach Pilates. And he said, why? You know, like, why not? Um, and I guess that was actually right before COVID ticked off. And I decided to do it. And we, you know, went into lockdown at that time. So everything was completely online. Um, and I loved the course so much. Like, in, in all honesty, it was also a perfect time to have done it because it kept me busy outside of everything that was going on in the world. You know, it was kind of like this little pocket that I had that I could do my own thing and I kept learning and I kept growing and I kind of was able to flush out everything else that was happening. So perfect timing in that in that department as well. But um, I more did it as I guess I wanted to have something on the side, a bit of a side hustle, wanted to do something that I enjoyed and I did. I enjoyed it from the get-go. Uh, I think having a bit of a dancer background, I've been used to learning and knowing a routine. So it kind of felt like that at the start for me. What did uh, you do for work before you were a plate instructor? Um, I was in HR. Yeah, HR. So very corporate lifestyle. Um, and yeah, I wanted to do it as a side hustle and I came out of lockdown, um, and all these studios around me I found were kind of needing trainers and I thought, okay, this is like really great. You know, I've got the opportunity to jump in and jump on a few shifts. And honestly, it was within a matter of probably two months. I found myself with a full-time schedule and I left my corporate role. Um, and two years into that, I was, I was an instructor full time for pretty much the two years. Um, so has it always been a dream of mine? No, but it very quickly did when I understood the lifestyle and how much I loved it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I never felt like that about anything before, you know, and I think that's what they mean when they say like, when you find the right thing, you'll know, cause it won't feel like work that I can definitely relate to. Um, so that's kind of how it sparked for me. In terms of knowing that I wanted to have my own business, I think that comes down to always being someone who's kind of um, morphed towards more of a leadership role or taking on like leadership in what I was doing. I've always wanted to, I guess, work for myself, as I guess a lot of people do now. Um, and I think coming out of, of COVID and, and all that mess and debacle that we lived through kind of showed that I think we did come out the better end of the stick in the sense that there's a lot more opportunity for that now. Um, and I kind of felt like it was the perfect timing. So I started to work towards it and then I found sh- my business partner, which I'll go into detail a little bit a little bit down when we get into that. But um, it kind of just fell into a tuition. So I didn't know for the longest time, but when I knew, I knew. That that's what I wanted. Why? Why? What is it about working for yourself or having your own? Because it's not really working for yourself; it's having your own business. You have people who work for you now. So, what is it about about starting your own business that attracted you? I think it was the fact that the decision making laid on me, and as much as that can be stressful, I think it's also very empowering because whatever decisions you make, the end result is going to fall into your hands. So it's it's that ability to make decisions and know that it's going to directly impact you as opposed to impact the individual that you or the company or whatever it is that you're working for. 
Um, so it kind of also makes all the hard yards and the effort all the more worth it because it's you that's taking that that direct, you know, that direct feedback from the client. You, you know, you see um, them achieving their goals and, and you get to see all that and know that it's because of what you've got here, because of what you've created. So I think mm-hmm. that direct feedback from the service or in, in this case the service that you're delivering, I think that's why I really wanted that. I wanted to feel that you know, straight from the clients. Yeah, I totally, totally resonate with that. Um, Fair. So when you, all right, so you, you're teaching full-time, you've you've left the corporate world, you're loving teaching Pilates, and you're starting to think like, yeah, I'd really, I know what I want to do now. I want to open my own business. Um, so so tell me about how you connected with Shari, your, your business partner. Was that, was, you know, did you, what came first? Did you like go, oh, I'm going to do it, and then kind of Shari came along, or did you look for somebody before you could, you know, do it yourself? Or, yeah, how did that all happen? Yeah. I, um, me and Shari have been great friends for many years. We actually started in our, um, in our first retail job together when we were about at the ripe age of 14. So we, um, we met a very long time ago. Um, and Shaz is not a Pilates instructor. She's not, um, a fitness facilitator, but she does love Pilates, uh, has for quite a long time. And it was strange because I knew I, I knew, you know, when I, when I knew that I wanted to, to open a business or to run my own show. Um, and I guess circling back to that quickly, Raph, sorry, a lot of that also would have seeped from when I was in lockdown, especially in Melbourne, because we were quite heavily restricted here. I was facilitating all my online stuff myself. So I was doing like a lot of online teaching just solo. So yeah. I kind of got a bit of grips around what it was like to have my own show going. Um, and I guess that also sparked a little bit of it for me too. But in terms of, in terms of Shari, I actually think it was, you know, I think we met up one day, um, in lockdown when we were permitted to do our walks in our radius. Um, and we got talking and we were just chatting all about like, we were one of those, those, those group of friends that we weren't the closest of close, but we had those, you know, every four to six month catch ups. It wasn't a, a frequent friendship. Um, but we'd always stayed very close. So this was, yeah, about five years ago. <clears throat> Sorry, five or six years ago. Um, we would have met then and we're having one of our catch ups and. I think we started talking about about Pilates and I think Shazmara said, oh, I'd love to do that as a side hustle, you know, that'd be so great. Um, and then one thing kind of came to the next and I think we were talking about it from a business perspective and then I think it might have been that week we were, we were chatting over text and I think she said to me, um, what do you reckon about opening up a business together? And I kind of said, Oh, I mean, I guess that could work. And obviously, you know, Shari not being in the fitness industry, I'd actually always imagined prior to that I would do it with another trainer. Um, I always thought, you know, I'll, I'll go in with another trainer and um, and we'll, we'll do it together. And when Shari came to me and said that I kind of, I thought about it for a bit and I thought, oh, I don't know how that will work. And then when I sat on it and realised that actually I think this will work in our favour 20 times more than it would than if I was to go into with a trainer because of the different skill sets that we bring to the table and because of, you know, what she can, what she can offer that I don't have and vice versa. I think this could actually work. Um, and it definitely, definitely did. So patting ourselves on the back for that decision and I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm really stoked that I did go into, um, this business with someone that 
you know, doesn't want the same skill sets as me. You know, she's very business savvy. She's done her degree in international business and she's always wanted to go into a business ownership. So that's what she's wanted to do. Um, whereas me, you know, I'm not so business savvy, um, but servicing and facilitating, you know, group fitness, especially obviously in the Pilates space is what I do. Um, so the two of us came together and it was just like a bit of a perfect, perfect match. So, and they do say that you shouldn't go into business with your friends, but I have to challenge that because I think it depends on the friendship and I think it depends on the people. Uh, we are very, very honest with each other. We're both very honest and quite upfront people, but that works for us. We don't hide anything from each other or um, I guess, you know, if, if we have an opinion about something, we'll share it as opposed to beating around the bush about it. We'll just say what we think open and honestly. And it helps us make decisions more efficiently, to be honest. So, yeah, that's that's kind of me and Shari's um, story and how we came to link up. Mm, best way to be. And I think you've – I agree entirely that you've got the best possible blend of skills there. I think having two trainers opening a business can work for sure, and I know people have done it. Um, but I think you get so much more value when you have somebody who's who loves doing the things you hate doing and is good at doing the things that you're not good at doing and vice versa. Uh, and also, I, I don't know exactly how it works with you and Shari, but it sounds like she's not involved, like she's not customer facing. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, we decided, um, you know, we, we had to have that, that chat when we first came together and said, okay, so we're going to do this together, but how is that actually going to look? And I think that's, that's a really important thing and something that I would advise to anyone listening that does want to go um, into business within the fitness industry if you are going to do it with a business partner. I think it's really important to be um, clear and 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 definitely seek that clarity from both ends from the beginning of how it's going to look. And look, as you start to move, things will change, especially if you have you know a bit of a friendship dynamic. You will pick each other up when you need it. You know, if I know that she needs a hand, I'll jump in and vice versa. I might not be as ace as, as she is, but I'll give it my best crack and same with her. Um, but I think it's really important to know from the beginning and clearly know who is looking after what um, because then you can start to double handle things and it can get a little bit confusing and you want to make sure that you're investing your space of time into what that part of the business needs and same with your partner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you guys have a partnership agreement? We do. Awesome. Because um, that's a classic mistake that I've made. <laughs> yeah. <not> having one. <laughs> Tell me about the process of deciding what the studio would be like, like how big it would be, where it would be, what the what the the who the clientele would be, what the style of teaching would be. You know, how did you go? How did you? How did you? How did you know? How did you agree on that process? Did you sort of take yourself for a weekend away and write it on a whiteboard or did it just emerge in a dream? You know, yeah. how, did it, how did it happen? This is a bit of a tough one because I think that you can have a vision but then there's also a matter of things that are always going to be out of your hands. And I think that that's something that I've definitely learned in this process and I learn still every day. That they say if you, you want can, to make God laugh, show him your business plan. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, you can have a plan and you can be organized and time efficient and know exactly what you want to do, but you cannot stop obstacles and you cannot stop 
um, what is available, to be honest, at the time. We were looking for a space for about a year um, before we found it and we nearly signed somewhere a few months before we found um, the Essendon location, Killer Road. Um, it's pretty challenging when you've got a vision and you're so you're so headstrong about the vision and that was, I guess, a great thing that me and Shari shared. Um, we had the same vision aesthetically. We very much, to be honest, liked the same things. Um, we liked the same kind of look. We felt the same about the kind of vibe that we wanted to achieve and I guess because she was a client, she was, you know, doing Pilates, she knew what she liked. She came to my classes all the time and loved them. She goes, oh, you just the best trainer. Like, I, you know, I love how you make me feel in class. I love the music. I love the vibe. Um, and we had the same appearance vibe in mind. Like we had the same sort of, I guess, um, design style. We both like the same things. Um, so in that sense, that worked in our favour because we just liked the same things. Um, but when it came to finding the right place to embed that in, it's freaking hard. <laughs> it's hard, especially coming out of COVID as well. We'd, we'd done it. Um, there were a lot of leases up for grabs, but they were not what we had in mind. And I think that there is a point in time where you have to – Sometimes I don't think I don't think it's yeah you have to find a fine line between being willing to compromise but also knowing what what you value and what it's worth and and pushing for that and not lowering your standard. There's a really fine line and you've got to meet in the middle and that can be really challenging and we did find that pretty tough, especially when it kind of felt like everywhere we were looking just wasn't working out. Um, there was always something that wouldn't fit the brief. Um, and that, I guess, in that sense can kind of elaborate onto even running a business. Like you're never going to be able to tick every box. So it's kind of worthwhile dropping that expectation, but just making sure that you strive to tick the boxes that you tick well. You know, you're never going to be able to please every single client, but the ones that you are hoping to target and that you are there and suitable for you want to make sure you tick that box for them pretty well um and same when we're looking for the place we you know we we noted down the things okay what are non-negotiable for us and what are we willing to be like okay it's not perfect but it can work um a non-negotiable for us was definitely having ample space um when we had a look at um you know at competitors and at the melbourne market I wanted to make sure that the studio was spacious, um, not only because we did want the two studio space like rooms, but also because when I was when we were comparing, um, a lot of them, and again, this is just the predicament that we find ourselves in in Melbourne. A lot of the leases are quite small. You're either going for um, a shop base, um, like um, commercial lease. You're either going for it's quite. Um, whether it's like cafe styled or it's quite small, um, especially if you want street front, a lot of them are smaller, um, more boutique uh, clothing stores or things like that. That's kind of where they've come from. So you either go down that track and or, or it can be quite officey as well. So the ceilings can be quite low um, and you can have that very office feel to it. Or you go down the opposing track and you go more industrial and you lose that street front, You you lose that, 
lot of foot traffic, but you go into industrial and you have quite a grand space. But in saying that, bigger means probably more expenses. You know, you have a larger space to fit out. You have more room to move, which is great if that's what you want, but you all in all, to put it bluntly, are going to be spending a lot more because the space is a lot bigger. Um, you know, then you fight the challenges of if you want a space that's got good foot traffic, it's usually going to be probably higher in that per annum amount because you're in a sought after area. You know, you might have all the shops around. It might be quite a quirky area that you're looking in. So there's a lot, you know, they, they know that they're, it's quite busy. It's a business area. Um, so the lease is just going to generally be expen- more expensive. Um, whereas you go industrial, it's probably going to be a bit cheaper for you. You might have that opportunity to have a lot more parking, um, but you lose that drive-by notice. Um, you lose that you know, ability for people to find you a lot easier. If they don't know that you're there pretty much based off online and marketing, then they're not really going to know that you're there. Um, so lots of pros and cons that you have to weigh up, and I think that that's the most important thing. Decide what your non-negotiables are from the start. Um, and compare, you know, market check, look at look at who you are going up against and look at who, you know, is, is around you and compare what do they have that we want to make sure that we have and what don't they have that we want to make sure that we can facilitate or, you know, what what's our point of difference. Um, so, yeah, all those things I think are important to decide in the beginning, but you have to know what where you have a little bit of wiggle room where you yeah. find that you're willing to compromise. Yeah, agreed. I think um, where you choose to set up your pre- your studio is just about the most important decision you make that determines the success of your business because, like you say, there's there's exposure, there's the cost, there's the vibe, there's, you know, the fit-out costs, there's all of these parking, all of these things that um, you have to balance and – it's 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 always going to be some kind of trade off between, uh, you know, all of those things, and so you have to find the right the right balance. Um, yeah, we also found that, you know, we were finding some great spots that were on the other side of town, and the pro with that was that they were great spots. You know, they fit a lot of the brief, they ticked a lot of those boxes, but they missed one important, really crucial mark for me, and that was that my clients could come there too because my clients were on this side of town where I had been teaching and where I had built up, you know, my trainer profile and I wanted them to have that to come to. I wanted them to be a part of that from from when I opened. I didn't want them to feel like, oh, you know, Taylor's opened up a studio but it's all the way down in, um, you know, in Port Melbourne or in South Yarra or one of those further away areas. I can't get there. So then you kind of, you kind of start from the start again, you know, so – that was one major box I also wanted to tick. I wanted to be close in the sense that I knew that those that had come and had loved my sessions before and, and loved what, what I was all about would come and, and be part of that. So location, 100% right. If I back it, that was really important for us. Yeah, and in Melbourne, those of you not in Melbourne, we've got a river called the Yarra and there's kind of an invisible dividing line down the middle of the city, <laughs> basically. <laughs> anything on the other side of the river, whichever side of the river you're on, anything on the other side of the river, too far. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Result. Uh, so you took a year to, you know, or, or so to find the right space. Tell me about the process of signing a lease and, you know, all of the – rigmarole goes with council permits and building plans and 
organizing the renovations and all of that stuff like how much of that how much of how much of a stress was that for you or did that go reasonably smoothly yep um definitely not smoothly i'll say that <laughs> when we originally thought that we found uh our spot and in all honesty in all honesty to rough i think that now when i think back to the first spot that i thought that we were going to sign for um i felt in my gut from the start that something wasn't really right with it. Um, and I think it was because we were compromising on those boxes that I said were non-negotiables earlier. Um, and it was kind of out of desperation of, well, we kind of have to find something soon because we're, you know, we're going to miss the boat. Um, we really, one of our main goals was that we really wanted to open before the new year. Um, and we were talking about this in, in July, August. So we knew we didn't have that long. Um, and we really wanted to open before the end of the year. And we got told X amount of times that our timeline was unrealistic. We got told by our friends, family, tradies, um, lawyers that, yeah, our, our timeline was really tight, pretty unrealistic. Um, so that was, that was a big thing for us. So in terms of the process with, with all the other things that come with it, I guess that's one thing that I'm uh, – look, I'm thankful for Shari for ample, ample things, but that's a massive stress that I guess Shari was able to not take off my shoulders but we were able to work through it together coming from that business background. She was already quite across a lot of the things that she knew we would have to do. Um, the process obviously was a first time for her as well, so very big learning experience, but she was almost anticipating it more than me. Um, so it kind of became a thing of show like, okay, Tay, we've got to do this, this, and this. I'd be like, okay, cool. You let me know what I need to do to help you for us to do that. So that was kind of the relationship that we had for that first probably month and a half while we got all the nitty gritty organized. Um, and then, it, you know, obviously once all the, the lease documentation was done, there's a bit of back and forth when it comes to negotiation. We did that together. Um, but again, Shara was quite across. I guess, how to portray that, when to kind of stand your foot down, stand your ground and when to give way. Again, it's all just about finding a balance um, that, especially when you do it for the first time, it's hard, you know. And and I think that one thing that I do want to make mention of um, is that being two relatively young girls, we did find that there was, you know, points where not that that was getting, I guess, taken advantage of but a little bit brushed under the rug in a sense that you know sometimes we were kind of put in a position where that opposing whoever we were dealing with uh, whether it was you know leases or whether it was trades kind of that them feeling like they might know a bit more than you uh and and kind of you know saying or, or putting it in a sense of this is your first time. And, and I guess this goes with any first time business, you know, this is your first time. So not only do we lack trust in what you know, um, but we know more than you actually. And so you kind of can get that feel a little bit. And to, to an extent, I do respect it because it's true. You know, although those people in those, in, in those positions have been probably in the industry for longer, um, or, or business owners, they have done it for longer. So it does, it does come with truth that it was our first time. So a lot of things were learning experience, a lot of things we didn't know. But I think you also have to back yourself in those situations and 
it can be hard to back yourself when you almost feel like maybe you don't know. And I guess that's a little bit of that imposter syndrome that we can sometimes get. Um, even even I hear this a lot with new new teachers as well, that they feel that imposter syndrome come on like, you know, they're not capable or, or what they're teaching. They don't fully have the knowledge to, to facilitate out. But I think that just comes with backing yourself and being confident in the sense of if I want this, if I want this enough, I will do it. And if there's a space that you feel like you lack education on, go and and learn and find out what you need to know to feel like you have that confidence to stand your ground a little bit and be like, actually, I do know that. Uh, and I can kind of tell you from my perspective how that looks for us. So again, it's just a matter of that balancing act. But that was something that we did, did find uh, a few times that was challenging to work through. But I feel like now, um, moving forward when we do, you know, come into business expansion and things that we have planned down the track, we feel very different about now that we have already, that we have done it once. So we have been through that process. I don't think it makes it easier, but I think when you anticipate and you have a rough idea for what you're going to go through, you can be a little bit more efficient and a bit more um, strong-minded in your approach and and know, know exactly the space that you're coming from and be confident in your decision-making. Yeah. But that can be a bit of a deterrent. Yeah, that I think you've really hit something important there in that as a business owner, you I think it's vital that we listen to counsel from people who've been there, done that before. Um, but nobody's going to know your business as well as you do and nobody's going to be as invested in your business as you are. Like your care factor is going to be a thousand times higher than somebody who's just advising you casually because if they don't have skin in the game it's like what's it to them if they give you the wrong advice and the whole thing crashes and burns it's like oh well sorry about that you know so so i absolutely agree you need to uh, listen to what other people have to say who know what they're talking about but then trust your gut and sometimes that means going against people's advice who on paper know more than you um how did you and you mentioned imposter syndrome there how did how have you you know, you strike me as somebody who's pretty confident and not not afraid to speak your mind or disagree if, if you think it's, you know, called for. How did you navigate that whole, you know, because even just negotiating a lease, right? Like when you go to the, the shop and buy a piece of clothing or a loaf of bread, there's like the price tags on it and you just, pay, you know, pull out your credit card and pay the price, right? But on a lease, everything's negotiable, right? It is. <laughs> so, Everything is. Yeah. So how did you how did you how did you navigate that? I'm thinking just from a perspective of like standing up for yourself, having difficult conversations, calling bullshit, um, yeah. you know that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I think that that comes from I think that comes from passion, and when I say that, I think that in all honesty, I think that passion is just being more loving something more and being more willing to put everything into it regardless of the fear that it will fail. I think that's what passion is all about and you can that can be relatable to to any industry in any sense. I think if you have enough passion for something and you love something enough, you will do what it takes and you will have the uncomfortable conversations and you will put yourself in a position that you know, is out of your comfort zone because you love it enough to try than to be scared by the idea that it might fail. And that I can relate to in multiple avenues in opening up a business for sure. And that definitely resonated here 
we were passionate and driven enough about what we wanted that we were willing to have those chats because we knew that, well, you know what, this is scary, but it's scarier than signing something on that dotted line that we don't agree with or that we feel like, you know, is it right for us because then that's going to daunt us for a really long time. I think that you have to put it in perspective of things can feel quite, you know, scary at the time, but if you look at it over a big, big broad view, if you look at it and, you know, how long your lease terms are, like, for example, we're in that lease for four four years it is. If you look at it over a four-year time, am I really going to want to put our name on something that doesn't resonate with us from day dot for the next four years? Like, I'll be in my late 20s by that time. So that's a long, that that's far away. You know, I'll be like 28. I don't want to put my name down for something and I'm having to deal with it for that long. So as much as it might suck at the time to have that chat and as scary as it might be, it's something that you have to look, okay, well, on the broad spectrum, looking at this from afar, what's more important to me? How this facilitates over a long period of time or how it feels in this next half an hour. Because you can get through half an hour, but you can't get through four years if there's ample things in there that aren't going to work for you. And that's where Shari's knowledge also really came into play because from a business perspective, looking at our, you know, our actual um, business model and how that was all planned out, she could say to me, Tay, this actually isn't going to work. Like even if we want it to work, it's not. So we have to work out how we're going to negotiate this. And we are two people that are quite, um, you know, I mean, as much as I'm obviously more client-facing, Shari is also, you know, very, very good with her wording and and quite good at obviously like demonstrating our point of view and what we're trying to get across and communicating that. I think it's really good to have that strong communication. If that's not something that you're strong at, definitely work on that um, because communication in everything, in all relationships. And, and you know, the relationship that you have with the lawyer is an important relationship. The relationship that you have with your partner is an important relationship. They're all different, but they're all important. Um, so communication, for sure, working on that if it's not something that's your strongest. Um, yeah, that's kind of how we had those situations. I tried to think of it as a long term as opposed to how uncomfortable it might feel now. In the long run, it's going to benefit me much more and I'm going to thank myself for having this awkward chat. Mm, 100% agree. So tell me about the the business model you mentioned. So by model, you mean a spreadsheet, right, that, that, that says here's how much we expect to earn, here's how much we expect to spend, here's how much we expect to have left over at the end of the month, et, et cetera. Yeah, so, so when, did, when did you build that? Presumably before you opened, right? Like so you say, you're modelling it out? Yeah, uh, we started to build that pretty much when we decided that the idea that we, we were going to do it. So when we came together and we had the idea, we thought, okay, like this is a great idea. I remember we, we caught up at our local cafe and we had the laptop there and we pulled up Excel and we just started spreadsheeting. We just started to flesh it out to see what it would be like, you know, to give ourselves an idea of what this thing might actually be like. Isn't it amazing how you can get excited by a spreadsheet? Yeah. <laughs> I hate Excel. Now I love it. I, I, yeah. I really, I, I hate it. When you see the number at the bottom right corner and it's the yeah. number that you want to see, you're like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is sexy. Yeah, yeah. Well, when it's in the minus though, <laughs> that's when it gets a bit, it starts to trip from the point a bit. But um, yeah, look, look, we, um, we started to just flesh it out more as, 
as an exploration, you know, we were just exploring. We wanted to see how it would be. Um, and to be honest, majority of that was carried by, by Shaz. She kind of came in and said, okay, well, this is what it would look like. This is what we would need right. to do. And so you're just, you're just kind of going like, oh, what if we had 12 reformers? What if we had five reformers? What if we had 30 reformers? What if we charged this much? What if we paid this much rent? And then you just basically see, all right, so what does that mean in terms of our profit or loss at the end Absolutely. of the month? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You've got to look at what your expenses are going to be um, and then what you want your service to be. Um, and we also compared across a few other business models that we could find online. Some of them you can find online, especially off big franchises if you do want to compare you can find them and have a look. Um, we did compare in that sense as well. You also have to think about things like um, your marketing, your socials. Um, there is a lot of avenues you've got to think about your design elements and, and where that's going to come into play. You've got to think about um, your website and all that sort of tech creation sort of thing. So there are a lot of avenues that go beyond the place and the people. Um, but in saying that the place and the people are the most important. Um, so yeah, when you say business model, all that sort of stuff, how we wanted Essie to look, you know, what we wanted the business to look like, what we wanted to facilitate. Um, and to be honest with you, we actually did not initially have heated map planned. Um, that came down the track when we started to look and we found the first lease that we thought that we were going to end up signing that's when the heated mat element came into play because we had so much space. And that's when we also looked at the expenses of creating a, a heated mat studio. Obviously, reformer equipment is quite pricey. It's exy. So that's you've got that expense there. But when you've it comes to the Allegro heated, too, so just about the most expensive reformers you yeah, can buy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't help it. We're, we're the bougie type. Um, but, yes, they are. They are pretty pricey. Um Great machines, though. They are great. Definitely not the be-all, end-all. Like, you could definitely get just as much out of other machines. Um, but I went and trialled a few, and I just felt the best on the Allegros, to be honest. And it, it did suit. I knew it was going to suit the aesthetics of the studio as well. So Yeah, aesthetically, they're pretty They're pretty amazing to look at. Yeah, they are. They are. They're quite, quite sexy machines. Um, yeah, so, yeah, looking at everything, I guess, from, from that aspect and – yeah, the heated mat space came a little bit further down when Shari was actually doing a lot of heated plays herself. She she wasn't doing reformers, she was mostly doing heated mat. And um and I was instructing Matt at the time. And she kind of said, Why don't we just do a heated studio? You know, let's have a look at what that would cost. And the expenses, obviously being a mat studio, it's not as high because you've basically got your mats, your equipment, and that's really it. It's it's not you know you're not you're not dropping nearly ten grand on each machine. So it's 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 something that if you've got the if we had the space which we found that we did, we were willing to to slot that in. And I love teaching Matt, uh, especially heated Matt. I think it's, it's for a trainer as much as it can be fatiguing. It's definitely extremely fun. Um, so I and love it's teaching. A real point of difference. It's a real point of difference. It is absolutely it is and. Um, Look, there is more starting to pop up, but it is still quite hard to find. And it's quite a niche space. There are not um, a lot of trainers that have experience teaching in an aided studio because obviously it's a lot more sort of uh, it's a lot more harder to find. So it's a lot more of a niche up bracket. All right, so so let's transition into the team there because no. you've op- you've opened a business that is much bigger than 
one trainer could, you know, run. Like you must be running like 40, 50 plus sessions yeah. per week, right? Yeah, uh, running about 55 at the moment, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, 55 at the moment. So how many do you teach personally? I teach 20. Mm-hmm. People take also covers whenever it's needed. Right, so you've got, what, three, four other trainers working there for you? Yeah, yep. like I've got four other girls, five other girls, yep. And do you have anyone else on the team, bookkeeper, receptionist, cleaner, anything like that? No, me and Shari do all the other stuff. Uh, so Shari does all the back end and then anything client-facing, and that was part of kind of our agreement from the beginning. So anything client-facing or trainer-facing, um, I would I would look after and then anything back end in terms of memberships, financial stuff, stock, uh, maintenance type stuff, Shari would look after or kind of mm-hmm. liaise how we're going to work that. Mm-hmm. And so how did you go about hiring a team? Because you have to hire a team before you open and you're operating on, you know, whatever savings you had plus what you could borrow from the bank and, you know, all of a sudden now you think like, okay, I'm going to be paying these four people out of my own pocket. Um, so, so how do you, all right. So there's that. So there's the kind of the fear aspect of like, shit, I'm just spending money. Like it's going out of fashion here. Um, and we haven't even opened yet. Uh, and then there's also just like the process of, of finding the right people. Cause you, you've got a, you had a real pretty clear vision of how you wanted the studio to be. And so, and as a young entrepreneur, you know, what are you 24? Like, did you struggle to, you know, with a clear vision, right? Did you struggle to, to say to maybe more experienced instructors, hey, look, I know you've taught one way, but I, want, I need you to teach this way? Or like, how did you how did you bring a team together and get them to do it your way? Um, trains was, was a tough one. I think that, in all honesty, and I, and I speak for, for um, instructors listening, Create a profile for yourself online because, in all honesty, that for me was it, it, it's like a it's like a CV for us. You know, at the end of the day, you're not going to really know how someone is until you have the experience doing that class or until you've met them. So they can put what they put on paper, um, just like you can put that you've done this degree and you've got that educational paper. But things on paper and then things when they facilitate and flesh out can be completely different. And although we did have, we, we do have quite a, a vision and we know exactly, you know, what SE is all about, I've always been, you know, a trainer that I love the freedom to teach and explore. And I've always wanted my trainers to have that same ability. I've never wanted to limit them to what they can do. And I've always wanted them to be 110% themselves. And that's something that I looked for straight away because for me, it's got nothing to do with how good you are at Pilates. Like, you know, you can ace every movement. You can chop all the springs off and show me snake without the springs. And you can, you know, be the most advanced, advanced of a mover. But if you, you know, I, I can't teach personality. And that was something that was, that that's the biggest thing for me. Like, and it always was from the beginning. And me and Shara had the discussion when we started to look, look for instructors it's all about you as an individual. And I think that also comes down to, you know, client feedback because something that I've learned as a, as a trainer and I guarantee trainers will vouch for me with this, 
clients will forgive you for for small mistakes. And I remember I actually got told this in my course with Bree when I was learning people will forgive you for little stuff-ups. Um, and it's true, they will. If you have the personality and, and you're yourself and you're authentic and you instill, you know, encouragement and empowerment into your clients, they're going to forgive you if you forgot to do a pulsing set on the right leg. Like they're going to not remember if you stuffed up the left side that, you know, that's not the be all end all. And I think sometimes getting a bit caught up in making sure that, you know, you remember the routine from start to finish. And that's something that, that this is, you know, individual to myself. And I'm sure that everyone has it, you know, everyone has a different way that they teach. Um, I pretty much from the beginning stopped note taking and I didn't want to look at notes. And that wasn't in a sense to, you know, like try to scare myself or, or feel like, oh, like I can, you know, I don't need, I don't need something to back me. I can do this. But I wanted to get rid of that imposter syndrome nice and early. And I felt like when I stripped away the notes and I didn't have a plan, I actually taught my best. Um, when I was just myself and I went in there and I didn't try to be anyone else and I didn't try to, you know, do the same classes as anyone else, definitely take inspiration of other instructors. I do it every day. But I think that definitely being you um and and again that all boils down to you know having that passion like if you have that passion you're going to have drive and it shows it shows when you instruct so that for us was the main thing for me it wasn't really even about the style of teaching because anything like that you know I can always say I love that set that you did have you thought about trying this here like have you thought about you know, experimenting with spring settings there or things like that, that's stuff that you can learn. You know, you can be taught those things, but you can also learn it over time, but you can't teach, you know, your teaching voice. That's going to come from you. Um, and that for me and Shari was, was the biggest thing. You, you can't teach vibes and you can't teach personality and they were the most crucial. So in terms of finding the right trainers, I was selective, but that was what I was selective on, not selective mm-hmm. on the skill set, uh, not selective on, you know, how good you were on the reformer or, you know, if you could hold a plank longer than me, like that didn't matter. It was more just on how you make the clients feel and that's all going to come from, yeah. from, from, how you, from how you flesh out the class. Because like you say, people will totally forgive you or probably won't even notice a lot of the time if you forget yep. to do the pulses on the right leg, yeah. but they will not forgive you if you are a Debbie Downer, you know, or, you know, if you, yeah. I, I take the piss out of myself all the time and all my clients know it and if they listen to this, they'll be laughing because I am always taking the piss out of myself in that in that studio, you know. I forget something I'll always say like oh yeah thanks for reminding me everyone like the, the, you're hoping that you were going to get away with that one um you know it, it's it's about being human like this is not a perfect world and being a trainer doesn't mean that you have to be perfect it, far from it um and I think that when you can get on that relatable level with your clients is when you're going to have the best relationship but that's also going to give you client retention you have to be Never, you, know, you can't visualize yourself as above in a sense or, or or anything like that. My clients are my friends and they always have been from the start. Um, I talk to them like I would talk to you, like I would talk to, you know, my, my friendship group. Um, yeah, and then I think that's that's what I looked for when I was looking for trainers 
And I can definitely say I've found that in all of our trainers. Um, they're awesome. And so was your, was your process like, I mean, you've already had a network because you've been out there teaching, so you knew yeah. people. Did yeah. you just kind of like stalk people on social media and then DM them and say, hey, do you want to come and try out sort of thing? I had a little bit of a stalk. Um, and then we also started the social media platform before we opened, obviously, to create a bit of hype. Um, and because we had the aesthetics pretty down pack, I think I, I flesh out the social medias for the SE account. So that's all my doings. Um, I've also like always been pretty well across, but had a little bit of a nick for that sort of thing. I, I think since I started my Pilates page, I've always liked being quite active on the socials when it comes to business stuff. So, um, this kind of came natural for me. I knew the vibe I was after and I just started creating it. Um, and it's funny, even now I still, pretty much send most posts over to Shari and go, can you proofread this for me? Because I trust her to find any spelling errors or things like that. But in terms of the appearance and the aesthetics, like I feel like we've, we've nailed it pretty well. Uh, we've had a lot of compliments on that too. So that's been really awesome to see. But yeah, I got the socials out there quite early. Um, so we did have quite a lot of trainers express interest. And I think even given the area too in Melbourne, like there is surrounding studios, but nothing really really close um and like i i know too like you know one of the chats i had when i first thought about opening the studio and i spoke to friends and family was yeah there's nothing around us you know we want to go and do this but i've tried it here and i've tried it there and it's a little bit too far and i don't love it either so it's kind of like well i know that there's a gap you know there's a gap that needs filling here and I feel like there must be trainers around here that also want to fill their schedule gap. They must be tired of driving, you know, 30 minutes to get to the studio, especially for a 6am start. Um, so I did find that we did pick up a bit of interest from socials when we first went out there. And then I also knew a couple of trainers from being in the industry. Um, but it's quite hard, Raph, like a lot of people are already very in their schedule and and I get it because I did it for two years. So I'm not going to break my schedule to give a studio a go that, you know, is also new. They might not, you know, they might not get busy or they they might not, you know, have the best. They might not run their their, their um, trainer system the best. Like how do I know they're going to be good? I'm comfortable in what I'm doing. I've got a schedule. I've got my hours guaranteed. Why would I move around? So I get that aspect of things too. It's It's also quite hard to find very experienced trainers if that's what you're after because all of them are already quite set in their schedule. Um, so definitely going out on the socials, definitely sliding into some DMs. I did do a few cheeky slides, but I also myself went and booked some classes and met the trainers before I said anything as well. Um, one of my favourite pastimes is going to a Pilates class and, and not saying what I do. I love it. I love going there and pretending I have no idea <laughs> because I want to be told what I'm doing for 45 minutes for once. I don't want to have to think about it, you know. Um, so I definitely, yeah, I went and tried to get to some sessions. But in saying that too, we were we were pretty time poor, especially at the end there. It got close and I still needed like two more, two more instructors. And again, having the two studios made this harder. If it was just the one, that I would have been able to just jump in and do it. But a lot of the time I was taken up because I was in the next room. So I couldn't do it. So it didn't matter how much I wanted to, I couldn't. 
So you've created a business, and I'm very familiar with this because every business I've had in the last 15 years has been like this, that you, like you just, there's no physical way you could run it by yourself because you've got two simultaneous sessions running in different spaces. <laughs> so you act, you have to have people helping you. No, this isn't one of those non-negotiables. This yeah. is one that you have in no wiggle room. <laughs> mm. So, all right. So you've got, you've got a, you've got a team you've set up you and it sounds like you're running do you run back-to-back 45 minute sessions yep way to go you've done your modeling yeah 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 so we'll do a six a 6 a.m a 7 a.m so they're back to back we've mm. now just as um and we did also open up at a really crazy time but yeah december is probably never a great time to open up a new business well it's it's terrible in terms of you won't get a lot of clients but it's good because you get to iron out all your bugs Yes. There aren't a lot of clients. Yes, that was the that was the pro that we looked at. We looked at the fact that okay, we probably won't be as busy as we'd like to be, but it will give us time to have our first month and a bit just getting grips on running the show. You know what it feels like. Um, in saying that, though, I I feel like we almost shot ourselves in the foot a little bit because we were pretty busy quickly. So it was great. It was great, but um, we didn't have all that much downtime. I did have to maneuver the schedule around a little bit to give way for you know. Um, there was certain times where I'm like, oh, look, it's just probably not busy enough to run the session because you have to, at the end of the day, also think like as much as you don't want to let clientele down, there's also got to be okay. But is it worth it for us? You yeah. know, like, and that's a fine line that's hard to decide. But it's a decision that you you have to make. Um, but in saying that, like very blessed and stoked with how Essie has done, especially since it's only been about six weeks now, um, and our classes are already like waitlisted. So it's it's amazing. It's it's really amazing to see. Um, but yeah, I guess mustering that at that time of year was was pretty challenging. But we also did have a little bit more time to see what it was like to be running the show, give us a bit more breathing space. Um, and now we plan, I guess, for the next months ahead and what we're going to do coming into the new season. Like it's summer at the moment, so you have to think about what people want during this season. So now we've really started to, I guess, well, we've already planned quite a bit of it, but we've started to now think about what we're going to do in the next three, six, nine months. So, How are you going against your projections so far? Pretty, pretty bang on. I won't lie, and I'm, and I honestly, you know, I I talk about this when we were doing the fit out because people keep saying all the time, "Oh, you should be so proud, you should be so proud. This is amazing." And it's only now that I've been in there and I'm instructing and I'm doing what I do that I've really been able to step back and admire it, and. That's something that I would definitely like advise. It's, you know, people, there's such a long process and people see the end result. Everyone sees the end result, but no one sees what happens from A to Y. You know, there's this whole alphabet of obstacles and different things that you hurdles that you have to over, over jump and there's so many things that happen in the mix of things, things you don't plan for, things that you do but that are really still hard even though you plan for them. And it really is about learning to love the process because that's what you spend 90% of the time doing. And during that time, if there's anything that I could change, it would be that 
I, I, don't, I don't say change, but if there's anything that I could maybe advise for people that want to do it and that, or maybe they're in the middle of it now or about to start, try to take a step back when it all feels a bit too much and admire what you're doing. Because, you know, even during the fit out, like I had trades running through and family running through and going, oh, you know, the paint looks great and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good. When are the plumbers coming? You know, like I, I, I didn't even have time to, I, I didn't even give myself, I should say, the time to sit back and appreciate it. And I think that's, that's something that, yeah, I definitely advocate for because you spend 90% of the time in the process. You know, you get that, that, um, lavishing reward of the end, of the end piece until it's time to do the next piece that you want to work on. And then you're in that process phase again. And in all honesty, although I see the end piece now, it's still a work in progress. There's still so many things that we want and there is to do. And I think if you can't fall in love with the process of doing it, and if you're, and again, reflecting back on when I was talking about passion, like that's all got to do with this here. If you can't, you know, be in and amongst what you're doing and get the most joy out of that, even when it is hard, you know, I've, me and Shari are both individuals that have found so much joy, funnily enough, in the pain and in the anxieties and in the hard stuff, because that's when you make the most growth. And if you can, if you can take a step back, even though it's hard to admire that and give yourself a pat on the back in the middle of it, then you're going to thank yourself at the end when you do look at it and go, okay, yeah, like I've done something pretty freaking amazing. Um, because it's, it's hard, it's hard to acknowledge that in the middle of it like I'm definitely a character like I find it hard to give a bit of self-appraisal like I'm all about praising my clients and and facilitating and instilling encouragement but when the tables are turned sometimes when it's put forward in towards me I don't give myself that much credit it's just I've always kind of been a little bit like that I can be a bit of a harsh critic so I think that yeah don't be so harsh on yourself and like enjoy that in-between process because that's what you spend most of the time doing yeah, I, I agree. I agree and disagree with with what you said there. I think you've made something amazing, and you absolutely should praise yourself. And you know, and I love the feeling of looking at something that I've built and going, "Yeah, that's a really fucking cool thing that I built." You know, like that. That, I, and so I totally get, I totally with you on that. And I hundred percent agree on the process is really ninety nine percent of building a business. Like you're you're climbing the mountain much more time than you stand at the top of the mountain because as soon as you get to the top of the mountain all you see is like oh shit there's another mountain now you know like yep <laughs> so, exactly uh, um but where I where I'm going to disagree uh, is that you know what I've in the seasons that I've had in my business uh you know we've had good times we've had bad times and we've had multiple of of each and what I've noticed in my own, in my own self and in my business. And now I see this in pattern in other people as well is when, when you have a heart, when you're going through a tough time in your business, whether it's like, you're just trying to build it, you're setting it up or things aren't going the way you want them to, or the money's not coming in the way you need, whatever the hard time is. Okay. That forces you to get real and to, to hustle and to, to, to become resourceful and to just make shit happen. Right. Like you, you don't have the option, like you're locked into a four year lease at, that's going to cost you a quarter of a million dollars or more, right? You don't have the option of sitting back with your feet on the desk. If things, if the money's not coming in, you've got to get out there. And, no, absolutely. And hustle, yeah, right? like, absolutely. You're, you're, many, you're, many hustle moments with both. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. And so, so that pressure, which 
you can at the time can feel very like a negative thing, right? But that's what that's the crucible that turns you into a better business owner and builds a better, stronger team and a better, stronger business. And then what I've noticed in myself is when you when you get to the top of the man, you're like, fuck yeah, man, this is awesome. I'm doing I've got really I really know my shit here, right? Then you start getting lazy and complacent. And, and shit starts falling apart, but you don't notice it for a bit until it's really falling apart. And then you're like, oh, fuck. You know? <laughs> and then you're back into hustle mode again, right? And then you start, start making it better. So I think the, I think there is a, you know, I think that cycle and those seasons are just a natural part of human, you know, existence, you know, but, but I think that the, I think it's, I've come to embrace, I've, I've learned to embrace that you know, what I used to think of as kind of the stressful moments, but now I just think of as the exciting moments. And this is, that's the real stuff that like when there's a deadline and you're like, fuck, I don't know how I'm going to meet this and I don't have enough money and I don't blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's, that's the reality. They never go away. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's, that's always a thing. And exactly what you're saying, like those pressures don't leave. You know, you don't look at the end product now and go, oh, okay, you can wipe the sweat, the hard work's done. Like I see it now, there's a visual, it's there. It doesn't end there. So 100% that is extremely true, extremely true. And I think that that's what I mean when I say like you got to fall in love with the process because you spend, like you said, 99% of time in hustle mode, to be honest. Um, and, and I guess that's just, that's probably that deciphering difference between those that succeed in the business and those that come to do it and realize it's not for them. You really have to be willing to be in hustle mode at for 99% of the time and you might even have to flick on for that other one percent as well. There's no, there's no real downtime. You know, you might get times where you think, okay, like I've got a bit of time in my hands. It's nice and quiet. Anything can pop up anytime. So, and then an e- you're just about to, and then an email comes through or a phone call comes through, and it's a client who's dissatisfied because the booking system's not working, or what? Either someone's complaining about a class, or the or booking like, system crashes, yeah. and it's like, yeah. okay, well, this is going <laughs> to fuck us up for like three months. We have to fix this right now. It's a right now problem. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's really very true. And I think that, yeah, if if that's something that you definitely, that's something that you learn, but I don't think, you know, I, I don't want to say that in past tense because I'm still learning it. And I think that Me it's too. something that, yeah, I think it's something that you just keep learning, that you keep getting better at. You can't ever master it, I don't think, but you can just keep getting better at it. And I think, yeah, mm. you're, if you're made for business and you know that, running your own show is what you want to do and you've, you've got that ambition and your your passion is strong enough than your fear, then the hustle mode, as hard as it can be sometimes, it becomes not even hustle mode anymore. It just becomes the norm because it's how, reality. How have you grown and how has your self-identity changed over the last six months you've, you've been building this business? Yeah. In all honesty, um, I would say I've always, like, I've always had quite a lot of passion. Or when I say always, you know, definitely since teaching, I've always had been a very driven individual. I've always been driven. Um, like, I've always had that quite ambitious characteristic. And Shari resembles that too. In the sense of how doing what we've done has changed me, I think it's definitely, definitely made me tidy up my time management skills in the sense of, you know, you've got to find this ability to be time efficient, but then make sure you make 
I'm not going to say the right decisions because you can't always make the right decisions and you won't know until it's too late, <laughs> but making sure that you've evaluated and weighed up. But we don't have that luxury of time to do that all the time, right? So sometimes you have to jump in and call a decision that you don't 100% want to make or you you feel like, oh, if I had another week, if I had a few more days, if I had this much more money, you know, there are decisions that if, if, if I had this or if I had that, you would make differently. But that's definitely in a way that I have changed in the last, you know, six to 12 months of doing what we've been doing. I'm now a lot more confident in my decision-making because I know that I can't always get it right. And if you strive to always get it right, it's mm. you, you're going to be dissatisfied. So, so, all right, sorry, I just want to go. jump in there because so it sounds like your, your confidence, you're not more confident that you will get it right. You're more confident that you're going to get it wrong anyway. So may you as, might well as well give just, it a go. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not more confident that I'll get it right. Um, but I'm more confident, but I'm also more okay with and adaptive to the fact that yeah. it could go wrong. And I, th- I think that's, I think that's a, that's my personal philosophy. I, and I think, I think it's a truth of the universe, capital T, capital U, that the best, like you cannot plan, you know, like it, it, it I think it's vital to sit down and think for a minute before you do something momentous, like opening a business or, you know, whatever it might be. But like after you've planned for, a f- for 10 minutes or not, uh, not exactly 10 minutes, but like once you've planned, once you've done a little bit of planning, additional planning is completely worthless because you're basically going on just imagined reality. You know, like you, you don't know what the real what the reality is going to be. So any planning you're doing is basically just guesswork. And so you have to take your best guess and then you just have to do something and see what happens. Right. And then you have to, and you probably didn't get it quite right. And then you have to do a course correction. Then you go, oh no, whoops, we overcorrected. And then you go back the other way and you're like, oh, but we forgot this other thing. And it's like, it's this constant process of iterating that leads to success. And it's like, yes, it is important to start out with some kind of goal in mind and some kind of vision in mind, but also like it, I think, you know, success comes from a massive bias to action over talking about stuff. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that sometimes too, when you give yourself too much time, you create too much fluff. And when you have too much fluff, then you might not make a decision at all. And that's worse than no decision. So that's hundred percent. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely been a big growth factor for me. And I guess, you know, I, I, one thing that I can't say that I have grown in, in the sense of is as a facilitator, that was, that was something that, um, I thought would be actually harder than it was easier. I thought stepping in a business owner's shoes, what if it changes me? as a teacher, what if it makes me teach different or what if I have to teach a bit different because I'm now in the owner's shoes and I wasn't sure how that was going to pan out. But the minute I stepped in there and I ran my first class, I'm like, oh, it's just me again. Doing what I do, it's no different. And, and, I've always and does, that been- feel like, does that feel like just way inside your comfort zone now, just teaching those classes? Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's um definitely in the comfort zone. But in saying that too, in saying that, I don't like to sit in the comfort zone. So 
whenever I feel a bit like, okay, I feel like I'm feeling a bit comfortable. I'm going to try out some new, I'm going to try out some new movements. I'm going to really spiral some stuff. Um, and then I try to put together some really strange acronym or some really strange sequence. And everyone gives me a bit of the, oh my gosh, like, what's she coming in with today? Like, what that, what is this? But I get them going. They start moving. That's the most important thing. Get them into the sequel part. And then I just start to butterfly stuff out from there. And that's when, like, I can kind of let that creativity flow and put myself back out of that little comfort box again and try some new stuff. So that's kind of when I'm ever feeling a little bit too comfortable, I always cheek to, okay, time to try some new stuff and feel uncomfortable again. Um, but for me, the biggest new stuff in the last X amount of time has been obviously a business side of things. So yeah. I haven't had to feel too out of the box in other elements. It's more been in that way. Um, but yeah, teaching is, is, is second nature now. Yeah. I remember when I had a studio and was teaching you know, 25 classes a week, it's like, yeah, you go, when I went into the teach, went into teach, into the space to teach, it's like all of a sudden it's like, okay, I just had this stressful conversation with my partner or the bank balance is too low or there's a complaint about this or other thing or I'm not sure about our website or whatever. And it's like you get into the classroom and you just have to put all that stuff aside and it essentially forces you to just be pre-present in the moment with your clients and and it to me that was like the – that was the most fun and easiest part of my day always because I got, it was just like present in the moment. Whereas as soon as you step out the door, you're like, oh, shit, the 99 things I've got to do. And yeah. Then, you know. <laughs> yeah. That, that's exactly how I feel. Like I step in there and whatever's happened exterior to the rest of the day doesn't mean a thing. And I actually yeah. remind the clients of that too when they come in always sort of say something along the lines of, you know, we've got 45 minutes to work together. Drop whatever's stressing you out for the day at the door. Don't bring it into the next X amount of time. This is your time to do you. Challenge yourself. Regress where you need. Like, let's just get into being present in the moment. Forget about everything else for now. Try and leave the mind empty of all those stresses and the the shits that's happened during the day. Just leave it there. This is your time now. And it's to be honest, it's kind of because it's how I feel when I teach. So 100% vouch for that. And I think that's actually like the biggest benefit of all the benefits of Pilates. I think that is the biggest one is when you just, you can be in the moment and you can let go of all of those. Yeah. That's movement in general, really, right? It's like. But movement in general, for sure. I mean, I love running, I love doing weights, you know, all those things. But I think something special about a choreographed sequence where you're concentrating on the technique and it's like it actually gets you into a very mindful sort of space. Yeah, like almost almost meditative where you're not without any kind of spiritual overtones, but just being like you just you you can't worry about stuff. Like it just sloughs off you. And it's funny how that kind of works because then when you say that and it's you know, it's like a structured it's sort of like a structured not gonna say routine, but it's it's there's a sequence to it, right? It's like when you teach Pilates, it's a sequence to class. You're gonna do, you know, you're gonna go three sixty, whatever you're gonna however you're gonna relay it out. There's a sequence there, but it's, you know, when I've gone and done CrossFit classes before, I've done gym classes, that there's a sequence, I still don't get that same feeling. It's not the same. And it's funny how that works because it's still a sequence. It's still a movement delivery and you're still following a class. You're still following a guided session essentially, but it's just a different epiphany I think you get with Pilates than you get doing that other sort of 
like other style of training. I think that is what a lot of people I have found too love so much about it. Yeah. Is there, is there, uh, sorry, there is, there are two more questions I want to ask you. First one is how did you open, you know, I've got, I've got a pretty good guess as to what, how this happened, but I'd like to hear what actually happened. How did you manage to get so many clients to begin? Like, you know, you've been open six weeks, you're waitlisted. Okay. And you opened in December, which is like, oh, it's so difficult to get people to show up for things in December with all Christmas functions and things that happen. Um, so, yeah. So what was, did you just, was that socials? You reached out through your network of, of previous clients. Like, how did you do it? Yeah. I would say like, marketing with a big circle around it lots of arrows it's like marketing <laughs> is everything in all honesty uh you know most percent of people like at least 90 percent of people now have got instagram right so a lot of clients are online and not only are you able to market yourself how you want your business to be perceived now online, but you also have so much more potential for your outreach, you know, like you can target so many more people and you can target the people you want to target by utilizing your online capabilities. So I think that if you're unsure. So did you use paid ads targeting certain people? Yep. Yep. We've got paid ads. Yep. So you target people like within a certain geographic radius, in certain age range, certain we income have got, or whatever. We have got a we have got a geographic radius on, but I don't think it limits every post to that. I think it just mm-hmm. mainly tries to pull people from that space in. Um, in saying that, my personal Pilates page that I've used to from the start since I started becoming a trainer, where I post like flows and all that sort of stuff on isn't paid or anything like that. It's just been organic growth. And to be honest, we started off the business profile, the SE profile is quite organic growth as well. We didn't start really getting into paid ads until it was about a month, a month and a half after we established the brand online. Um, so to be honest, if, if you're a new business, I'd just say start it from the start in all honesty. But yeah, definitely recommend paid ads because it simply just puts your outreach further than you can do it on your own. Um, you know, Instagram has algorithms that it, it taps into that we can't exactly tap into. Um, so definitely would say, yeah, paid ads. And, and who wrote your ads? Who wrote them? Yeah. Me. Yeah. And so how did you write them? Like what was your process? So I'm not very technical. If anything, if anything that I write that goes online, in all honesty, I always plan it out. Like in my notes, like I've got like a section of notes of what I want to speak about. I also have Feed Preview, which is an app that shows you what your feed is going to look like. You can plan it out. It's like a fake feed. So you can plan it out how it's going to look before it actually happens. So you can see, you know, you can preview for as long to the end of time that you want to. So I already have the next month or so already ready and loaded in the feed. And I know a lot of businesses do this now. It's just an easier way to run things. It gives you a good overview of what your page is going to look like, but it also keeps you accountable for getting out the information that you know you want to get out. Because um, mm. sometimes, you know, I might want to get a particular thing out, but something else comes to mind and I'll go to post that, but I'm like, oh, no, shit, I actually have to make sure I say this first. Um, so I use feed preview and I used that from the beginning. Um, and I'll literally just go into the post. I'll select whatever I've selected. When we start the socials, we made sure we got uh, our own content. So I went and actually got all friends and some previous trainers that I had together, bless them for doing this, 
they all came on board and I did a shoot day um, and we got um, photos done, professional shots done, so that I had photos to actually use that was us. I didn't want to just use Pinterest and that. Like definitely flesh some nice Pinterest photos in there for sure. Like I do it from time to time, um, especially if it goes with your feed. But, yeah, I I um, made sure I got actual professional shots done of, of us in studio training um, and I used those and I just decided what I needed to get out, what comments I needed to say, um, whether it was about, you know, a, a class breakdown, if I had a new class coming on the schedule, what that class is and saying why. But in terms of writing stuff out, I think when it comes to advertising, simple and organic, I think that's probably – two of the most important things when you when we fluff a bit too much it gets you know it doesn't really get client attraction when you fluff a lot they're going to get caught up in you know the x amount of sentences that you said that they can't relate to or it's going on for too long and they've missed the main point I put my main point first whenever whatever I'm going to speak about whatever that post is about the main point is first if it's going to be you know, about a particular class type, you're going to see that class type name straight off the bat, new class type or whatever it is. Um, so when I market, that's the type of stuff that I think about. Um, and I keep it simple. You know, I'm not there to confuse you. I'm there to clarify for you. And I'm there to, you know, encourage you, of course, to come in and try it, but also speak on a level of, you know, I, I don't expect you to un- not, not only understand, but it, it's it's more about I think just getting out what you want to say straight off the bat. Like you don't need to make it technical. You don't need to make it an essay. It just needs to be what you want to say. You can throw in a couple quirky lines that is signature and true to you and gives off your personality or the, the studio personality. Um, and that's really it. You know, that's what I focus on. I'll use like relative hashtags to the industry because I find that that brings in quite a bit of attraction from non-following accounts. Um, but then other than that, that nothing special. I'll always plan it out in that feed preview beforehand, write out or get out what I want to say, cross-check it with Shaz, make sure she's like, yep, you've got everything or like the spelling looks all good, maybe mention this, maybe mention that. She's my little side editor as well. And then it goes out. I try not to muck around too much. Mm. Uh, how much do you? How much are your sessions? How much do you charge? Um, so our foundation membership, which is the membership that we've started off with, that will only be available until the end of the month. So we, um, we decided to offer an all access. That's something that I thought really lacked in the, the market that I'm up against. It's quite hard to get a studio that will give you unlimited access just with no ifs and buts. It's just unlimited access to all class types as many as you want per week and I also think you know this is quite targeted to our clientele because we have two studios so you know it's obviously more in their best interest to be able to use the two than to just use the one so in terms of our actual pricing breakdown um our unlimited membership for foundation is 55 uh, per week um and that's three months locked in contract um, and then after this month, so we've extended it now for another month as well because we want to try, you know, and have as much people with us from the beginning as we can. Like that's obviously the incentive start from us from the start and you get the best rate, to be honest. Um, and then after that, unlimited becomes 65. Um, and then we also do class packs or do 
we've got in, the intro offer, obviously, which is your five for fifty, which is pretty much stock standard across most studios. studios. Um, um, and then and we've got, got packs, packs, so five, ten, twenty, twenty-five, and fifty glasses. So depending, depending on what you want, and then all the packs are valid for twelve months. Just to finish up with, what what are your you know what's the next chapter? What's the next season for you? What are the what's the next you know mountain that you're climbing? What are the what what are the chal- I guess what are the upcoming challenges you know for you? What's the next What's the next phase? I guess is what I want to ask. Yeah, next phase for us. We already started talking about it before we open these doors, and that's I guess what we're currently. More look, we're leaning towards starting to get into, I guess, the bulk of maybe seeing what that looks like for us. But obviously, studio number two, um, expansion and widespread has always been the plan for Essie. Um, so we do want to definitely have number two, three, hopefully continues on from that as well. Um, we've also got a couple other little sister brands in mind that I'm not going to drop too much on because I'm excited to release more details on them when they do come about. But we do have some some plans for that in the works. I think that might actually come, that will facilitate out prior to number two, um, but we definitely have, yeah, number two in the chats at the moment and it has been pretty much, yeah, before we even open these doors. Um, we're thinking uh, along the lines of interstate, to be honest, um, but, again, that's something that, can't always be predicted. It really depends on placing and timing. Um, so it's a bit out of our control. But that's something that we kind of have in our in our uh, agenda for for the next next little while. Um, but definitely, obviously, just continuing to grow the studio, work towards. We've got a lot of things planned for the next six months or so. Got challenges coming up, all that sort of stuff thoughts about online work so there's currently a lot of ideas that are in floating bubbles that we will start to pop um and and work towards fleshing out mm. well i'd love to check back with you in six or 12 months and and see yeah, which of those bubbles are, are floating <laughs> see if they've popped and fallen to the floor but that's all right we'll pick them up if they do yeah or new ones will emerge that's it that's it uh, because when you when you're in hustle mode and you you're just making shit happen, um, yeah, often the stuff that you make happen doesn't turn out the way that you expected. But often stuff turns out better. Like things things come out of it that you wouldn't wouldn't have expected and wouldn't have planned for. And you're like, oh, this is pretty yeah. cool. Let's go with this. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah, like honestly, SE the studio has exceeded my expectations already. Um, but in saying that, we do have big dreams and big ambitions. So. Little by little, little becomes a lot. So that's what we're working towards. But yeah, we'll see. We'll have to see how happens. We'll definitely have to check back in. Yeah, this has been awesome. And uh, you're doing amazing work, Taylor. And uh, big pat on the back. And um, look forward to, look forward to the next one. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Raf. And um, yeah, it was really good to, I guess, sit down and actually chat this stuff out. It, it lives in my head a lot. <laughs> it doesn't actually get to come out all too often. So when you can sit and talk about it, it's actually pretty nice. So it was really, really good to catch up. Yeah, likewise. All right. Thanks, Rav. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, 
I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.